the movie news, episode 64. Action. Okay, I'll make it short. You got five seconds to tell me where you buried the loot. Hello, looters! Welcome to the Movie Loot, the podcast where we share the best, greatest, most entertaining, and or weirdest film loot you could find. My name is Carlo, and we'll be sharing the loot today. This is episode 64, the June Loot. But before we get into today's loot, let's talk a bit about some recent stats. Last month, we released episode 63, the suburban magical realism loot, with our returning guest, Geron Maliki Sanchez, and that episode blew up the stats. I mean, within a day, I think it had already made it into the top 10 best opening weeks we've had, and as of now, it's our most downloaded episode of the year, and it's almost on our overall top 10 after two years and a half. And we reasoned, because Kedam's always a pleasure to talk and the conversation we had was great. Some feedback we got about it, my friend Sylvie at Sly underscore Wit said, interesting discussion about a style of literary fiction I don't really like, but hadn't thought about in a film context before. Your mention of a body-swapping subcategory struck me, given the recent use of Running Up That Hill in Stranger Things, which I haven't watched since season one. And my friend Andres from the Latin Jukebox said, I just listened to the suburban medical realism from the movie loot. Amazing. I didn't know Garbage Pail Kids had a movie. Now I'm curious. Great recommendations in this episode. Thanks for the shout out. Five stars in good pods. Last month, I also had the pleasure to be a guest host on one of my favorite podcasts, Best Film Ever. Me and Ian talk about 1982's Blade Runner. So that's another one that's worth checking out. And this week we release special episode 12, where I talk a bit about one scene from Pulp Fiction, specifically the scene with Jules and Brett. That was also a lot of fun to record, and I hope it's fun for you to listen. So even though my release schedule is worth shit right now, I want to thank everybody that's still coming back and still supporting the show. It really means a lot. But let's get down to business. And the business of the day is short films. Because for several reasons, for last month, most of the films I watched were short films. The main reason is that the film forum I hang out at had a short film sort of competition where each person has to watch a certain amount of short films. So I thought it was cool to dive into that world of filmmaking. The second reason is that to complete my monthly challenge, I thought it would be convenient and easier to use short films. And so that's what I did. Out of the 13 films I saw, 8 were short films, 5 were feature films. Of the 5 feature films, one was my rewatch of Blade Runner, which I'm not gonna get into. If you wanna know my thoughts, then check out the episode I mentioned before of Best Film Ever, where we do a deep dive on the film and then give our thoughts. Another feature film I saw was 1987's Summer School with Mark Harmon, but I'm not gonna get into that one either, because I'm gonna be talking about it in another podcast, so stay tuned for that. So we're left with three feature films and eight short films, and that's why I'm going to make it short. So let's go. Any film that starts with the letters K or L. I'm going to start with this one because it's probably the most fun I've had watching something in a good while, and it's 2015's Kung Fury. I'll start by saying, if you don't know anything about this film, stop this now and look for it. It's only 20-something minutes. You'll thank me later. If you've seen it, then you know what I'm talking about. 
I stumbled upon this film by mere chance as I was browsing a list of good short films on a website, saw this one that started with a K, and didn't even read what it was about, and what a blast it was. It's really pointless to try to explain the plot, but it basically follows the titular character played by writer and director David Sandberg, a Miami detective with kung fu superpowers that has to stop Adolf Hitler, aka Kung Führer, from taking over the world. If that premise sounds crazy, that's not even half of it. The film includes a half-man, half-triceratops cop called, wait for it, Triceracop, an arcade machine robot gone crazy, the Norse god Thor, and even David Hasselhoff. It's just an absurd send-up of 80s action and cop films, but an excellent one at that. It does feel like it's training a bit to keep up in the last 10 minutes or so, but it is wise enough to wrap things up before it runs out of gas. I hear there's a feature film or a sequel in the works, so let's hope they find out a way to keep up the pace. My friend Melody Ann has said, Kung Fury is so good. So if you're in the mood for something absurdly funny, then maybe this one's for you. A film from Sidney Lumet. Sidney Lumet was born in June 25, so I wanted to see something from him. I think I've seen most of his popular films, so I started checking out the more obscure ones and settled on the Anderson tapes from 1971. This one follows Duke Anderson, played by Sean Connery, a thief that walks out of a 10-year stint in prison, only to plan an elaborate burglary in the apartment building of his girlfriend Ingrid, played by Diane Cannon. After getting financed by the Mafia, Anderson recruits a foreman crew for the job. What Anderson doesn't know is that he's the subject of various surveillance groups that include the FBI, the IRS, the BNDD, and even a private investigator hired by Ingrid's former lover. The film was a lot of fun. To compare it with something more modern, it reminded me a lot of Ocean's Eleven. It kind of has that same vibe, although maybe a tad more serious. But you get Connery as a cool cat as he recruits different characters for the job. The supporting cast includes a very young Christopher Walken, a very slick Dick Anthony Williams, and an extremely enjoyable Martin Balsam. Lumet's direction and use of sound is very effective, creating a constant sense of paranoia. I do think that the last act lacked a bit of the pizzazz that the first two acts had, but still it was a very cool and enjoyable film. My friend Ken at Interken said, I watched the Anderson tapes as part of a Christopher Walken deep dive. Not the most foundational of his movies that I saw at that time, that goes to a close range. Still, it was interesting to see Connery on his last weekend away from James Bond, and an innovative score. So there you go, if you're interested, the Anderson Tapes is streaming free on Fubo, Crackle, and VIX. Freebies. For the category of freebies, I went with A Gun for George from 2011. Set in the 1970s, the short film follows Terry Finch, played by director and writer Matthew Holness, a struggling writer dealing with the aftermath of the murder of his brother George at the hands of local thugs. Finch channels his anger through a series of cheap crime novels about a vigilante called the Reprisalizer, who is determined to take on the thugs of Tanet in Kent. I thought this was really good. The short film does a great job of balancing the real tragedy of its character and the plot with a cleverly handled dark humor and a more introspective character study. I think the tone that moves between tragedy and comedy is handled masterfully, and Holness does a great job both in front and behind the camera. Definitely one of the best short films I've seen, so check it out. Another freebie short I caught was 2000's The Heart of the World. This one follows Anna, played by Leslie Lace, a scientist studying the Earth's core or heart. 
As she is being courted by two brothers, Nikolai and Osip, she discovers that the heart of the world is in danger and she must warn the population to avoid a catastrophe. But the interesting thing about this short film is not its odd plot, but mostly the way it is constructed. Writer and director Guy Madin set out to make a film that was as frenetic as possible at roughly two shots per second, but also shot in a style that is reminiscent of very early German and Russian silent films like Metropolis. The plot doesn't really make a lot of sense, but there is evident subtext of science versus religion versus capitalism represented by Anna and the characters that surround her. But everything takes a backseat to the execution. So if you're into experimental stuff, then check this one out. A film from the 1960s. For this category, I went from something darkly humorous to something definitely more serious. 1963's The House is Black is a documentary that follows life at a leper colony in the mountains of Iran. It features footage of various residents going on about their daily routines while contrasting it with frequent narration of quotes from the Bible or the Quran by director Farouk Farouk Shah. Quotes that often clash with the visuals of the film. Those visuals are tough, as you see the toll that leprosy takes on people, including children. But Farrakhshad makes a point of showing the casualness of life in the colony, as we see kids playing ball, adults playing board games, women putting makeup and brushing their hair. So, in general, a bit of a tough watch, but a reminder that this is still the reality of some people in the world, and that it's something that is treatable. Definitely worth a watch. A film from Iceland. Iceland celebrated their independence in June 17, so I started looking for something from there, found this brief short from 2011 called Undying Love. It is set in the aftermath of a zombie apocalypse and follows a lonely man, played by Hilmer Jensen, trying to survive. For a subgenre that has been beaten to death as much as this, I thought the short film managed to be effective without necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel. It's only 12 minutes and it has little to no dialogue, but it was a solid watch with a nice twist in the end. A film from the They Shoot Pictures Don't They 1000 Greatest Films list whose ranking includes the number 6. Speaking of zombies, for this category, I went with number 634 on that list. Jack Turner, I Walk With a Zombie. Released in 1943, this film follows nurse Betty Connell, played by Frances D., who is hired to take care of Jessica, the sick wife of Paul Holland, played by Tom Conway, a plantation owner in the island of San Sebastian. The thing is that Jessica has been in a catatonic state for a while, with people suspecting if she's the victim of a curse. I know this is usually a tribute to producer Val Luton. My friend Brian Scottle at Scottle Lemore said, Such a good film. I love Val Luton's collection. But I went with it because of Turner, who later directed Out of the Past, which is my favorite film noir. In that aspect, it totally delivered. Turner uses some great direction and camera movement to build up dread and atmosphere effectively. The story, though, I found more lacking. The relationship between Betty and Paul is poorly constructed and half-baked and, shall I say, unnecessary. This isn't helped by their lack of chemistry. Also, what seems to be the main issue with Jessica's condition feels more like a plot device than something we should really care for. But as far as moody and atmospheric films go, then this might be for you. If you want to check it out, I Walked With a Zombie is available for rent on Apple TV, Amazon, and Voodoo. A film about fathers. Obviously, this category was because of Father's Day, and I went with a Laurel and Hardy short from 1930 called Bratz. It follows the two main characters as parents trying to relax and enjoy a night of checkers and pool while their two bratty children constantly interrupt them with hilarious results. 
The short is fairly simple, but still notable for various reasons. First, it is one of the first instances where actors play two characters in the same film, because Slaughter and Hardy play both the parents and the children. And the result here is pretty seamless. Add to that the set special effects, with big toys and big furniture for the kids to interact with, and it's impressive. But other than that, I thought it was fun. I'm not as familiar with the comedy of Laurel and Hardy, but I found their comedic timing to be great. Not something mind-blowing, but it still made me chuckle. A horror film. For this category, I went with 1987's Near Dark. Set in a small rural town, it follows Caleb Colton, played by Adrian Pastar, a young man that meets a young drifter called May, played by Jenny Wright, without knowing she is a vampire. Eventually, he finds himself on the run with her vicious family, led by Jesse Hooker, played by Lance Henriksen, and the psychotic Severine, played by Bill Paxton. This is a film I've heard mentioned very often by a lot of people, but for some reason, I hadn't gotten around to it. My friend Ed from the Film Effect podcast said, It's my favorite vampire film. The irony is they don't even say that word once. I really hope you enjoy this one. Jamie Russell at Movie Mania 77 said, It's finger-licking good! I miss Bill so much. And Hungry Dad at Walter Flipstick said, Cock that on TV, knowing nothing about it. Top stuff, great cast. And I hear you, but I wasn't as enamored with it. I liked it, but one of my main issues is that the main character, Caleb, is mostly bland. I also thought the romance between him and May was poorly written, but the film still manages to create a certain vibe and atmosphere around the characters that I think carries the film. That and Akika's performance from Paxton, who steals everything he's in. I just wish there was a bit more care put into the logistics of the story. A film about LGBTQ lifestyles. This category was in honor of Pride Month, and I went with a very brief short called Drawings of My BF from 2021. Directed by James Oliver Cooper, it follows artist Wilfred Wood and his obsession to draw his model-turned-boyfriend, Theo Adamson, whom he met via Grindr. The result of this obsession was over 1,000 drawings, a relationship, an art show, and this documentary short. Like I said, it is fairly short, less than 10 minutes, and features voiceovers by Wood and Theo as they talk about their relationship. It's pretty cool to see the huge variety of drawings that Wood does of the same model, but still in different styles and sizes. So, not a groundbreaking short film or something that will probably stick with me in the future, but still lovely to see that creative connection between two seemingly different people working on so many levels. A film with the number 6 in its title. Finally, for this category, I went with 1967's Six Men Getting Sick. This is David Lynch's first film, so that should give you an idea of what to expect. With a four-minute runtime, the short features no plot, but only an animated painting of six figures vomiting and spitting over and over and over and over and over and over. The short film was developed by Lynch while he was studying at Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts on a $200 budget, and it should give you a glimpse of the kind of things we should expect from Lynch in the future, as far as his penchant for the abstract goes. There's not much to say about it, but it is an interesting curiosity to watch. So that was my June loot. Feel free to check out any of these films, especially these short films that last 10, 20 minutes. They're very much worth it. If you do get around any of them, let me know via Twitter. You can find me at TFCGT and the podcast at TMML2021. Now I know we're almost finishing July, but this is what I'm trying to get around to this month. A film with the number 7 in its title. A film that starts with the letters M or N. A film from the They Should Pictures Don't They 1000 Greatest Pictures list, whose ranking includes the number 7. 
a film from the 1970s, a musical, a film with America in its title, a film about aliens or alien abductions, a film about Islam or Islamic characters, a film from Vanuatu, and a film from William Wyler. So if you have any recommendations or you want to join the loot and watch along with us, just let us know. Remember, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the main podcast platforms, so you can stay up to date with when the loot is coming. Feel free to share the link for the podcast so more people can join us in the loot. And if any of these platforms gives you the chance to rate or review, please do so. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, drop by our coffee page and buy us a coffee. We will be eternally grateful. And like I said, I wanted to keep it short, so that's it. Right on the...